even well-meaning support workers and educators can get lost in the behavior, right? And not looking at the potential and the, the surroundings of the individual to really understand them. So I feel really fortunate to be able to say, okay, so this is what's going on from the individual's perspective, right? Hello everyone, my name is Stace Kelsch and I'm a teacher consultant with PopFast. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast series on learning about FASD through a variety of lenses. Today we are honored to be speaking with Miles Himmelreich, who is a national and international motivational speaker. He is also a researcher, mentor, and advocate. Miles' goal is to help others with FASD find their voices to help society understand that we are greater when we are united and work together. Thank you, Miles, for presenting at our DPM and joining us on this podcast. First off, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, was excited to come here today and, yeah, kind of see some people I've known over the years and then uh, see some new people. So it was really good. It was a really good experience um, talking about the health issues and the uh, connection that has with uh, the kids in school and stuff like that, right? So it was good to be able to share like that new information and then doing, you know, a little bit of a personal perspective presentation on what it was like for me in the classroom. Um, it's always interesting to be able to share from a firsthand perspective because I think a lot of times, even well-meaning support workers and educators can get lost in the behavior right and not looking at the potential and the the surroundings of the individual to really understand them so i feel really fortunate to be able to say okay so this is what's going on from the individual's perspective right absolutely your presentation on the health impacts of having fasd uh, that was truly eye-opening um although the average age in your study you said was 27 I, I couldn't help but think about the students that we teach. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about that study and how it might relate to students with FASD? Yeah, so when we did the health survey, we actually connected with over 500 individuals with FASD. And uh, like you said, the average age was 27 and a half. And so to be looking at some of the health issues like hip dysplasia and scoliosis and uh, cancers, dementia, those kind of things that... We don't think in general population you would look at somebody for uh, those kind of health issues in their 20s, 30s. But what we're finding for individuals with FASD is that we're being impacted by those health concerns at a much younger age. And so when you think about how does that apply into the classroom, well, it can be anything from the inability to sit still. Right. You know, if, if you have scoliosis or hip dysplasia and it's that sense of, you know, you're not comfortable and you're maybe in pain, but you don't know how to verbalize that or understand that. Because even for myself, that was my normal. Every day, you know, I felt uncomfortable and every day I, you know, was my, my body was kind of twisted and turned this way and that way. But I never knew that was different. It was my normal. Right. So to understand that. How does that play a role in the classroom? Even things like uh, chronic ear infections, 
which uh, was something like 147 times higher for our population of FASD compared to general population. So again, how does that play into the classroom? That's where you've got the kid that's not listening, you know, doesn't care, you know, or is it the fact that they actually can't hear, right? So again, not understanding the fact that this is my normal, this volume that I hear at, this volume that I speak at has been my normal since I was born. So I don't know any difference. So I don't understand that I have a hearing problem, right? I hear how I've always heard. It's everyone else around that has a problem, right? But, uh, but that it's, it comes out in behavior, right? Which, you know, is unfortunate about FASD with the misunderstanding. FASD is seen as behavior, and we jump to bad behavior, then we jump to punishment, right? So he won't sit still. He won't listen. How are we going to make him change that? Well, punish him punish him right and and the thing is that for so many years that was the the way to do it was just you know send him to detention or suspend or whatever it was but nobody stepped back and go you know what he's not learning from this maybe we should try something else so yeah i think it's important to understand that you know we're saying fasd is a whole body diagnosis not just about the brain so not simply just looking at the, what looks like behavior and not just looking at the learning disability but the physical parts and how that impacts the child and how that impacts the child and how it plays a role in the classroom. So Miles, what recommendations from your experiences and knowledge uh, do you perhaps have for educators when it comes to best supporting students with FASD? I think it's really understanding how the FASD plays a role in that individual's life because as we know FASD is different for everybody right so understanding where they're at developmentally uh, be able to support them and have our expectations at that level you know I think one of the biggest struggles is if I'm 15 the expectations are that of all the other 15 year olds in the class but if developmentally I'm seven then I'm being told I'm not reaching my potential. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not, you know, because the results aren't coming out the same, then people are not understanding me and seeing uh, positive um, results, right? But yet, if you understood developmentally he's seven and he's doing a really good job for somebody that's seven. His results are that of a seven-year-old, you know, so... Am I acting my age? Am I acting where I'm at? I am. But where are your results and your expectations for me? They're too high. And because your results and your expectations as educators may be different and high, I can't reach them. It's my fault, right? And so understanding that we need to know where the individual's at. We need to understand, are they dealing with sensory issues? Sensory issues actually can physically be uncomfortable and so if you add in the fact of say if I'm struggling with the smells in the classroom the lights and you know maybe the material of my clothes and I'm 15 but developmentally I'm six I'm going to react like a six-year-old would react that can't handle smells or touch of the clothes kind of thing right where I'd be like oh this stinks and you know 
But then I'm judged because it's, you're 15. Come on. You should act like a 15-year-old. Sit down. And, you know, so understanding what the individual's dealing with. And I think a big part of that is talking with the individual. Um, too often we, we see where there's case conferences and there's planning meetings about the person, for the person, but not with the person, right? And, and I really believe that if I'm the one that lives with this every day, I probably have a little bit more insight than other people, right? And so talk to me and say, you know, in period two, you do really well in this classroom, but whenever we move into period three to this class, you just, you won't sit still, you get very aggressive, what's going on? And had somebody talk to me, I might be able to say, I don't know, I just, it's that buzzy noise, and, and what, what buzzing noise? There's no bees in the class. No, I don't know what it is. And what it actually is, is the projector. Because they're using a projector in that class to show the work on the screen, and all I can hear, and that's bugging me and focused on for me, is the buzzing of the uh, fan from the projector. So when I go in the classroom, because my sensory issues are so high, and when you have heightened sensory issues, it's physically uncomfortable, I'm not gonna sit there and be like, oh, this hurts, you know? But nobody asked me. All they said was sit still, stop, right? So to be able to have that conversation with the individual and say, what's going on? How do you feel? And allowing them to verbalize, right? I might say, I don't know, it's buzzing and it hurts, you know? But if we can put those pieces together, then maybe we can understand what's going on for the individual and be able to give them support in a better way. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. In your presentation, Miles, you talked about the importance of focusing on individuals' strengths and using those to support the learner. Could you tell us a little bit more about that strength-based approach? Yeah, I think I've, I think I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to have the experiences I've had growing up at the time. I, I certainly didn't see it as being a fortunate kind of thing, but I saw it more of a, this is difficult, nobody gets me. But I can now look back and go, this is what was going on for me. And I can also see it from the teacher's perspective. Uh, if you got 20 or more kids and you have this curriculum, you have these deadlines that you have to meet, you want your class to be at this certain grade level. And, you know, so there's restraints on what the educators can do. And, and that flexibility isn't always there, right? But what we need to understand is when we're working with kids, whether they have a disability or not, it's understanding where their strengths are and changing our expectations of what success is. Too often in society, it's very rigid on, you have to do this, 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 and that will equal success, and we as society will see you as a successful person. But if you don't finish grade 12, if say you get pregnant in high school, if you know, you're having addiction issues, we society look at that and go, mm, you're not gonna succeed, right? And I think that plays a huge role into the classroom where the expectations are, this is the curriculum, this is what, you know, letter grade you should be getting at this time, this is the percentage you should have, whatever it is. And if we don't meet those expectations in the classroom, then again, we're seen as, hmm, you're not succeeding. I, I remember when I got a job at one point and 
the supervisor had said to me, you're doing a great job here. We just need you on time so that you can do the great job you're doing. And that really impacted me because I was like, you're saying I'm doing a great job? Then I'm definitely going to try to be here on time. I continued to struggle with being on time, but how often in school when I was on time, did somebody notice that or say something? How often when I was late, did they have something to say? Absolutely. If I didn't have my homework done, did they have something to say? Absolutely. When I did do my homework or have it on time, did they say something? Not usually. So it was understanding where my strengths are, pulling out those positives and acknowledging me for those things, right? Because at the end of the day, if that individual can leave the school feeling good about themselves and wanting to go out in the community, and maybe they're going to go work or volunteer at a pet store, or maybe they're going to, you know, go work as a mechanic, whatever it is, if they leave with that drive and that sense of purpose, then you've done your quote unquote job, right? Miles, were there any strategies or approaches from your educators that uh, you felt really supported you while in, in your learning while at school? I think it was, again, focusing on my um, strengths, right? So I was uh, naturally very good at drama and um, sports. So I remember in grade seven going, um, even though I was on a junior, I got put on the senior track team because I could run so fast. And that really made me feel good about myself, really made me, you know, when they had um, practice runs in the morning before school, it was something that drew me there to be like, this is what I'm good at. I can do that. And teachers focusing on me and, and acknowledging that I was good at that, right? Um, when I was in drama, a teacher acknowledged that, you know, I was very charismatic and, and could do those things and asked me to be part of this um, puppet show that they were doing on safety. And so on the weekends, we would go out and do these puppet shows. And I felt this sense of like, I'm important. I'm, you know, they see me and then they're showing, they're, they're seeing the strengths that I have, right? And pulling those things out, right? So it was, it was what seemed simple, but it was just those acts of kindness where someone said, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't you go be on the senior track team? Hey, you're really good at this. Do you want to come with us and do these shows on the weekends to help educate people on stranger danger through puppeteering, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I do, right? So it was those things that gave me a sense of success, right? And a sense of, you know, Throughout the whole day, there's a lot of struggles, but there are some things I'm doing good at, and there are some people that are noticing those things. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So we have a theme in each podcast called Two Stars and a Wish, which is where you give two thoughts on things that are going well in the field of FASD and one wish that you might have. So, Miles, what are your two stars and a wish? Right. So I am super excited with the fact that I've been able to be a part of the Asante Diagnostic Clinic as um, doing consulting with them, helping run a mentoring group, and being part of all their projects that they're doing, right? Uh, that's something that I'm super excited about. And also, too, that with them bringing in a, um, a doctor, a pediatrician, and him 
wanting to learn about the health issues of FASD so that he can start supporting FASD individuals and their families at a younger age, I think that's huge. I think that's going to make a huge impact and a positive one going forward. Um, so I'm really excited to be part of the Asante Center. Um, also, too, I was given the opportunity as a one of the co-leads for the research paper to you know, physically be given a stage, but also metaphorically be given a stage to say here, I, I have something important to say, you know, and, and be given the opportunity for my voice to be heard as an individual living with FASD, to be able to share from a personal experience of what's going on and to be able to share that, yes, I have this disability, but I can show you and help you understand it in different ways. So to be able to be part of a planning committee for the International FASD Conference is so powerful. Um, and it's just, it's awesome to be able to go from that guy that couldn't do this, didn't do that, whatever, and now I can stand up and say, I'm a researcher, I'm a consultant, I work at a diagnostic clinic, right? So those things are, are pretty awesome and, and pretty powerful and I'm really proud and happy to be a part of those. My wish, hope, dream uh, is to empower other individuals so that our voices are heard, that there isn't case conferences, that there isn't meetings, that there isn't uh, you know, large conferences happening about us, but with us. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be anything about us without us. We should be involved in all of those things. I would like to be a part of having our voices heard, having individuals feel empowered, understanding and becoming accepting of their disability so they could understand, become accepting of themselves so that they can stand up proudly and start to self-advocate and be part of those teams that are doing the work and doing the research and doing the conference preps and things like that in the field of FASD side by side, right? And so my, my dream is to get to a point where I can kind of help bring those other people forward because I hear all the time, oh, we wish we could clone you and have you here, have you there. I am very blessed and honored to do the work that I do. Very, very lucky, but I'm me. There's Johnny out there who lives with FASD, who has a story and has experiences I don't have. And that means he has wisdom and knowledge that I don't have, right? And so I want Johnny to be able to come forward and say, this is what I can share. This is what I think, right? So to have that, that ability to help impact other people's lives so there can be more individuals out there succeeding. Well, I think that you are inspiring many people nationally and internationally, uh, leading the way for those individuals with FASD to advocate and to share their stories. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. And I hope that as listeners, we're able to take away a number of ideas. For myself, things such as the importance of teaching to an individual's strengths, uh, having the student with FASD be a part of that conversation, uh, the part of that planning, and also um, as the research continues to come out, being more aware of those potential health impacts that students with FASD might be facing. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Miles, and thank you so much. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.